0: This is chapter 153 of the WCBS Author Talks podcast. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WCBS 880 Books. I'm Lisa Chernkovich. This week, we hit the road with National Geographic, whose new book is packed with some incredible ideas for a great summer car trip. Then we take a trip to the dark side of love with debut author Elizabeth K. RV rentals and sales are soaring this year as people look for an alternative and safe way to cure their wanderlust during the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. If you're one of those people looking for a way to get out and see all the wonderful and beautiful places this country has to offer, but aren't sure where to start, then the new book from National Geographic titled 100 Drives, 5,000 Ideas has got you covered. I recently chatted with author Joe Yogurst about hitting the road. In your introduction to 100 Drives, 5,000 Ideas, you write that road trips have really been a part of American history, the American consciousness for a long time. What is it about hitting the open road that makes it a perpetual summer vacation favorite?
1: I think it's um, a combination of the known and the unknown, which sounds a little, a little crazy. But um, for me, at least, um, you always have a destination or you normally have a destination that you're pointed to. But it's the unexpected things that you run into along the way that really make that, that road trip special. And for me, it's uh, the excitement of getting into a car and driving myself somewhere far exceeds the excitement of getting on a plane or a bus or a train or even a ship and going somewhere. I'm, I just love jumping in the car and taking off and seeing what I find along the way, and I think a lot of Americans feel the same.
0: Have you driven every mile of the 100 drives in this book?
1: Not every mile, but I've driven a portion of at least every trip. It would have been impossible, given the time frame I was given a year to write this book, to drive every single mile. So basically it was a combination of things I had driven in the past, especially recently for the the first two books in the series, and then trying to undertake as many of these drives as I hadn't taken before. And an example of that is Route 66 from Chicago to L.A. I have never driven it straight through, but I have driven portions of it in every state, except for that little corner of Kansas that it cuts across, but every other state, I have driven purposely driven parts of route sixty six just to explore what was on that that famous roadway
0: I think when people think of the great American road trip, that is the one drive that pops into their heads. but there are really so many other options out there, and it doesn't matter what your interest is. it seems like you'd find a drive that that kind of dovetails with what you were you like to do
1: yeah, that 's what we tried to do with this book. Um, there are some that are are very historically based. There's a drive that has to do with Civil War battlefields in the Mid Atlantic states. There is the Revolutionary Road that runs from Boston to Yorktown in, in Virginia. That's all about the Revolutionary War. There are two different War of eighteen twelve drives. One in um, one in the U S. And, and and one in the United States, um, which I which is from. Basically, they're called the Star-Spangled Banner Drive because that's what our national anthem comes from, the War of 1812. Some are music-based. I have a music-based drive that uh, runs from Memphis to New Orleans down the Mississippi Valley. And there's another one in the Appalachians and another one in the Ozarks. Um, And there's some that are very good for families, like the uh, Jurassic Drive, which is a dinosaur and kind of a paleontology-themed drive from Alberta in Canada to uh, Colorado. So I really think there's something for everyone. You know, there's even three drives are in, in Hawaii, which um, have a lot to do with not just Hawaiian heritage, but also great beaches and great places to scuba and snorkel and volcanoes and things like that. So there really, I think, is something for everyone in this book in terms of road trips.
0: We should note that the book isn't just a map, and here you go. You include places of interest to stop, places to eat. Why did you feel it was important to really give people this all-encompassing, kind of like one, one-stop one shopping for a road trip?
1: Well, it's what we did in the first two books, In 50 States and 100 Parks, was um, we included not just a description of what the basic theme was in each chapter, but little Little sidebars and uh, tidbits and things of places that I found along the road that were really cool to stay or to eat. We have another um, sidebar called Art Avenues, which is about uh, movies that have to do uh, movies or, or um, music um, or books about that particular drive. Um, and um, so we just wanted to you know, add something more than just the basic description of driving. These are things that, that really make it even more special.
0: I'm going to put you on the spot and ask, what's your favorite trip in the Northeast region?
1: (laughs) Um, Actually, there's a couple of them. The very last drive that I took for this book was through the Adirondacks. I had never been there before in all my other travels. And I thought it was time to go there. And I had a wonderful time. I started in New York City, drove up the Hudson Valley and spent a week um, doing a loop around the middle of the Adirondacks, taking in everything there is to take in that wonderful park, and then coming back to New York City down the down the east side of the Hudson Valley. And I ended up combining that trip into two different drives or two different chapters in the book, one on the Adirondacks and one on the on a loop around the lower Hudson Valley between New York City and Albany. So those are two of my favorite drives in the Northeast. I also have a figure eight circle drive through the Green Mountains of Vermont and the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Um, which I did on two different trips, and combined them into one drive. And I think that's another favorite.
0: I know a lot of people, they fall into the trap of maybe skipping traveling in the U.S. to go to a more exotic destination. But this really seems like the year to take advantage of seeing everything our backyard has to offer, doesn't it?
1: Oh, yeah, very much so, without a doubt. For me, this really is the summer of the road trip, um, in particular, the car camping or SUV or RV camping road trip. And I've already undertaken my first one. It was last week. Um, I live in near San Diego, and I took a camping trip with the family to um, the mountains behind the Southern California coast, 6,000 feet up where the trees are. And it was marvelous because only about a third of the sites in the state park where we camp were open to the public. And we were at the very end of the campground, and it felt like we were out in the woods on our own. And after three months being cooped up, it was an incredible feeling to go hiking and have nobody else on the trail, to have the campground, what felt like almost all to ourselves. So we already have other trips planned. We have one for southern Utah, five national parks, um, a camping road trip uh, that we're probably going to do in early August. I'm thinking about another camping or RV road trip to either Washington State or Colorado in the fall to see the uh, change of color in the trees. And I've already got reservations for camping at Big Sur on the California coast for Labor Day weekend, three days over Labor Day up there. So for me, this is the way to go. With your own car or SUV or truck or RV, you control your environment. You don't have to trust the airlines or the hotel groups to make sure everything is clean for you. It is up to you to do it with your own vehicle. It's totally on your control, especially if you're camping.
0: If people don't have their own camper or an RV or they can't get their hands on one, it's still possible to do some of these trips, right?
1: Very much so, yeah. You don't have to 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 invest in buying or renting an RV, uh, you know, a Winnebago or, or one of these $150,000 Mercedes tricked out, you know, camper vans. Um, you can do it relatively cheaply. There's 8,000 state parks across the country. You know, there's 60-some national parks, a lot of which are either not open yet or they're going to be full as soon as they are open. But with 8,000 state parks out there, somewhere out there is a campground for you.
0: I have to tell you, between your new book, 100 Drives, 5,000 Ideas, and the previous two, which covered national parks and the 50 states themselves, if people can't find a trip they want to take between these three books from National Geographic, then I don't know what to tell them. Yeah, either do I. Joe Yogers, thank you for spending some time today and talking to us about these great books and happy travels.
1: Oh, thanks very much. You too. Stay safe.
0: Odds are you've told a little white lie to a friend or a family member. That new haircut looks great. Those pants fit you perfectly. Sorry, I have to ditch our plans because I'm not feeling well. The majority of those, not really a big deal. But what happens when the lies start to get bigger and more dangerous? Author Elizabeth Kay explores that in her debut thriller, Seven Lies. I got the chance to speak with her about this week's Summer Read Pick. It's
2: a novel about female friendship. It's about Jane and Marnie, who have known each other since they were 11 years old. And it is the seven lies that Jane tells to Marnie, and about the catastrophic effects of those seven lies. And we know from the very beginning that one of their husbands will not survive the full length of the novel. And then there are other dark, dark elements that come into play too.
0: Did you have all each of those seven lies plotted out before you started writing or did they come to you as you started getting more into writing the story?
2: I think at the beginning I had an idea where it started, the midpoint and the end. And I think I wrote maybe 10,000, 15,000 words from that point, and then I thought, hang on, I need to sit down and plot it out properly. So I started with a very, very loose outline and paused and did something a little bit more detailed partway through.
0: I think there are a lot of people who may think, oh, you know, in a friendship, I would never lie. But it, it, I think a lot of people may have may be guilty of the first lie in the book, which I'm not really giving anything away. It's telling a friend that you like their partner when you really don't.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think if you say you don't lie, that's probably probably a lie i think we're all guilty of of these little white lies that feel very innocent and and are in a way innocent at the beginning the problem of course is that we know that lies breed lies and once you start it becomes harder and harder to stop
0: right and in jane's case as for the rest of those lies have you have you met anyone who's maybe gotten a little further past lie number one
2: so I've really enjoyed talking to people about the lies. And it's been one of my favorite bits so far because it published in the UK a couple of months ago. People saying to me, oh, I would definitely tell lies three and four, but five is a lie too far. Or people saying, no, I would not. I would only tell one. I wouldn't go any further. No one so far has said they'd tell the seventh lie, which I'm relieved about. But there's definitely, we have a different moral compass, I think. Different people feel very differently.
0: Having just wrapped up the book, I'm relieved to hear that as well.
2: <laughs> oh, good.
0: Do you think Friends should always tell each other the truth?
2: I don't, probably not, to be honest. I think if someone's had a bad haircut, for example, you should definitely lie and say it looks fine and that they're worrying about nothing. There are definitely lies that are okay to tell. You hope, I suppose, that in a close friendship you're not telling lies about big, important things. But I think the little ones, it'd be too hard to have a friendship. You'd be on tent hooks all the time trying to do the right thing if you were
0: being honest every step of the way. You mentioned the book is about female friendship and there's this interesting sort of theme that weaves its way through the narrative is is romantic love really greater than that female, that strong female friendship or is that something we're told, that we're told and and thus we believe it?
2: I think it's something we are told and we believe it because that's kind of a fairy tale story, isn't it? You meet the perfect partner and you get married or whatever and you live happily ever after. And actually I think in... In some cases, it can be female friendships that provide real structure and real support, and are really pivotal to our lives. I think it it kind of diminishes them to focus everything on a romantic relationship. I think, particularly between women, friendship can be incredibly important.
0: The other side to the to the story is there's an immense amount of grief in the book, and especially for for Jane and. You know, she she ends up becoming super attached to the people who are very close in her life. Why did you want to explore how grief can some push some people over the edge? I think
2: I've been very fortunate that I haven't experienced the death of anybody very close to me except elderly relatives. But there have been a few instances over the last five years where people friends, not not close family members, but friends and people who I've loved to die. And I I find grief can be so overwhelming and the thought of grief upon grief upon grief just fascinated me in terms of how you could push through that. Because even, even small grief and single grief can feel just unbearable. The thought of a whole lot of that happening to one person, I just, well, I wanted to kind of explore for myself what that might do to a person.
0: And it's crazy, too, considering how, how much Jane has gone through that, you know, you would think that she'd be that one person who wouldn't want to see anyone else suffer the way she has.
2: Mm, Yeah, that makes sense. I think for me, for me, I think every time I've lost someone, whether it's through grief or through the end of a friendship or the end of a relationship, I find myself becoming clingy, I think, with the other people in my life who matter. And I think Jane experiences that on a very big scale. As she loses people, she clings even more tightly
0: to people who remain. As a survivor, you almost get this kind of separation anxiety.
2: Mm, Absolutely. This kind of fear of it happening again and again.
0: I also heard that uh, a song from a Broadway musical inspired your story. I had been working on
2: a different novel for years, actually, and I had been going round and round trying to make it better, and characters always felt like they weren't working, and it was really boring in part. And I never I never really felt like it was a very good book, but I had read and I knew that part of trying to be a writer was persevering and not giving up. And I think I was. it made me very determined to try and make that story a good story. And when I was in New York for my husband's birthday, uh, we saw the musical Waitress and there's a song in it called Take It From An Old Man, which is about one of the characters encouraging one of the other just to give it a shot, try again, do your best, you know, what's the worst that can happen? And after that, I left thinking, right, I need to try a different story. I need to just accept that that one hasn't worked for whatever reason and, and have a go at something new. And that was, I started this and I had finished a first draft in about six months and, then worked with editors on Seven Lives. after that. But it was so refreshing to write something and to be really enjoying it again after several years of kind of raking through something that never felt great.
0: The, the friendship between Jane and Marnie, do you have a really close childhood friendship that has persisted into adulthood? Yeah, I
2: actually have quite a few of my closest female friends I've known since childhood. My very best friend, I have no memory really of a time before I knew her. We were... Our parents were friends when we were children, and then we went to primary school, secondary school. So I've known her very much my entire life. So for me, this felt like a really interesting subject to write about because it felt very familiar to me, the idea of knowing someone that well and that intimately and growing up alongside people who aren't your siblings.
0: I find it funny uh, throughout the whole novel that as Jane is, is retelling the story that she keeps asking the reader not to judge her. And at point, at times you understand where she's coming from, and at other times you're like, "What are you talking about? Of course, I'm going to think the worst of you." She's very—I suppose she's self-conscious, I guess, to a point. She's very, um, she's
2: keen that you agree with her, and as you say, I hope that at times people will find that they do, and at others, perhaps not so much.
0: You mentioned the, the, the reception you've been getting in the UK uh, about the lies themselves. How, how has it been overall to, to have this book finally go out into the world and to have people reading what you wrote?
2: It's been really amazing. It's been different to what I'd expected because we've been in, we went into lockdown here two weeks before it published. So obviously I'd expected and hoped to be out meeting readers, which hasn't happened. Uh, but actually it's been lovely to be following the conversations on Twitter and Instagram and being able to engage with people that way. And everyone has been really positive so far, and it's just starting to publish in some European territories too. So I'm really, really enjoying it.
0: Well, I wish you the best of luck with it, and if people are looking for something to read if they're still stuck at home, this is definitely a page-turner that will keep them at the edge of their seat. Oh, thank you. We've been talking with Elizabeth Kay. Her new novel is Seven Lies. Thank you so much for spending some time and talking to us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And that's where we close the book on this chapter. Next week, a twisty new thriller with an ending you won't see coming. I know we say that a lot, but this time, I mean it. Until then, follow all our twists and turns on Twitter and Instagram at WCBS 880 Books. I'm Lisa Cherkovich.